0: Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open with me to Acts chapter 8. And that's going to be on our screen as well. So we're picking back up. We're continuing in our series that we're calling Urban Apologetics. And a lot of it, um, I borrowed from this, this book. Um, so there's some copies of this outside. It's edited by Eric Mason, but there's lots of different folks that have contributed to that. And they're thinking about how do we present the gospel in a way that's going to be effective and understood and loving and powerful in the communities, just, just like where we are in the West End. And so last week, Pastor Steve preached to us from X. Seventeen and talking about the idea of contextualization, and we're continuing really along those lines a little bit today. And and what I had in mind was thinking about not really the middle section of that book, because there it talks about some of the things that people have turned to apart from the gospel to follow. And I'll read a couple of those things just um, from the book um, in that chapter. It talks about the nation of Islam and the Hebrew Israelites and kineticism and the, um, the black conscious, black feminism, the, um, as well as a black atheism. And those are different things that people in our community and other communities like ours have turned to. And so I want to commend to you. I was thinking about, as I was getting ready for this message, and, and thinking about how to, how to speak to these things, each one kind of needs its own message. And really, it, it would work better in kind of a workshop format to talk about those things. So what I want to do, though, is talk about what is it that leads us? What is it that moves people away? What is it that causes people to feel rejected or to reject the gospel or, or both to turn to, to some of these other things? What is the appeal of those things? Also, one uh, other resource I want to give you one is called Jude 3 Project. Have anybody heard of that before? Great, great resource on apologetics for communities like ours. How do we present the gospel? So you just look that up. Jude, as in the book of Jude, verse 3, which says, contend for the faith. So Jude 3 project. And there was something I found on there. Um, this is the last resource I'll share with you. This is by a friend, uh, Vince Bantu. Some of you guys know Vince. He's right from right here in St. Louis. Um, but a scholar who's written on apologetics, among many other things. And he wrote this little, and I, I printed about three or four copies of this. It's called The BizRot. Anybody know what Abizrat is? That's actually an Ethiopian word. You know what it means? It means gospel or good news. And so here in this, this is a short article, shorter than the book, but he answers some of the questions that people are having. Like, and I'll read a couple. Um, some people are questioning: Is Christianity the white man's religion? Did Christianity come to black people through slavery? Are black people Hebrews? That Is thinking about the Hebrew Israelites in particular. Does the Bible support slavery? Are black people cursed? Thinking about that curse of Ham thing that people have talked about. Does the church care about injustice? Does Jesus claim to be God? Those are all little things that he talks about in this book. So important works to look at. So the theme for the message as we're getting along those lines, I'm calling it when we open our mouths. When we open our mouths, and this is coming another one from Acts. I don't know if we we didn't even plan this, that as we've been talking about in this series, different um, ways of outreach and forms of outreach. We started with Acts 1 with David, and then Pastor Steve preached from Acts 17, and then I'm preaching from Acts chapter 8 today. Now just before I read to set some of the background, you guys know that verse, that famous verse. It's Acts 1 verse 8. Right just before Jesus ascends to heaven. This is what David preached on. You remember what he told the brothers. He said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what's going to happen? You're going to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, but in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the world. That's in Acts 1.8. But as you're reading through the book of Acts, it's not until Acts 8.1 that the gospel actually goes outside of Jerusalem. And then when it goes outside, it's because of persecution. And it goes to Samaria and this happens, this incident we're looking at today happens in Judea. And actually it also impacts the ends of the earth. And so here, this is picking up at the beginning of Acts 8. When uh, the people have been persecuted, they're they're scattered to Samaria, and they preach the gospel in Samaria, and the gospel goes to Samaria. But then God calls one of those ministers, and you think about it, these are the first cross-cultural ministers in the Bible of Christianity. These guys right here in Acts chapter 8. And God takes Philip and sends him from Samaria to the place that we're going to read about now, to have this amazing impact that is really going to change history so the thing again the theme for us is when we open our mouths and i'm going to pick up from verse 26 it says now an angel of the lord said to philip rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza this is a desert place and he rose and went and there was an ethiopian a eunuch a court official of candace queen of the Ethiopians." Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, and this is from Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is God's word. I'm going to stop right there and lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, it's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And Lord, we're grateful for that because that means you're able to get to us. You're able to get beneath the surface. You're able to get to our minds, our thoughts, our very attitudes, our very hearts. And so we pray you would continue to do that. We know you've been doing it already. We pray you continue to do that now. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place already and all the places where we're gathered online to watch. We pray that you would continue to have your way in us. Comfort, convict, encourage, whatever it is that we need, challenge, bring it to us, Lord. And we pray also that you'd fill us with power so that we would be able to walk in light of what you call us to in this text. So all of this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. When I was uh, a pastor in, uh, in Baltimore, um, I, I've shared with you guys, I, there were a lot of funerals that I did, but there was one in particular that I did for just a young guy, man, just about 30 years old, who had been shot and killed, and and I got called to do his funeral. I, did, I didn't know him. Um, he ended up being a, a, a cousin of somebody in our church, and they didn't have a church, he didn't have a church home, so they asked me to do the, the funeral, so I went. And it was at the funeral home, right? It wasn't in a church. And, and I'm telling you, it was a room maybe about this size, maybe a little bigger, um, but absolutely packed. Packed, and primarily, Outside of, of his family members that were there, primarily it was people between the ages of, I would say, 15 and 35 years old that are in this room. Every seat is filled, and even there's people standing all around. That's how significant this guy was in people's lives. And, uh, and, I, and we went through the service, went through all the singing, and we got to the part um, where I was to come up to preach. And I came up, and the first thing... That I said, and I'll explain why in a second. The first thing that I said is I said, you guys don't have to leave. Now, why did I, why do you think I would say that? First thing. Because I had been to a number of funerals and I've been to a lot um, that are very similar. And typically what happens is when the pastor comes up to the front to start to give the message, people will stand up and start walking out. And you say, oh man, that's very disrespectful. Well, hold on. Why do you think that is? Think about that for a second. Why would they do that? Well, I've also because of what I'm also seeing as I've been there. What will happen is, and I'm putting on a pastor hat for a second. You think, all right, I got this opportunity. Um, all these young people are in church. A lot of the people, I'm guessing, maybe never go to church. This is the only time I'm going to get to them. I'm going to tell them what they need to do to straighten up and get right. And so I've been in many of these services. I'm not hating on those guys. I probably have done the same thing. But where you have them there and you go, you know what you guys need to do? This whole thing, this is a sign that we're at a funeral now where people are mourning their loved one. This is a sign that y'all need to get your act together. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop hanging out on the corner. You need to pull your pants up and stop listening to that music and do all this stuff. And the church people are like, "Mm mm-hmm, amen. And everybody's getting up and they walk out. And so by the time the preacher gets to the gospel, if he ever gets there, ain't nobody else left in the room. Except for the church people anyway. And there's an incredible missed opportunity. Just because of how he was coming at those people, they were coming at those people. And so I stood up and I said, guys, you don't have to leave. And the next sentence I said, is, because I'm not going to beat you up. And so most of the guys stayed. And I had the privilege of being able to open my big mouth and share from John chapter 11 about the love and power of Jesus Christ to not only reach out and care for dead people, but raise them back to life. And I share that not to make fun of other people, other Pastors and the way they've done it, because I've done some jacked up stuff too. I'm I'm on the in the same boat. But my point is, is that when we open our mouths, it's important that we know how to do that in order to be effective with the very people that God has called us here to reach, or the very people that we are. Some of you guys in this very room. And so, how do we do that? Now, the temp- there's a couple temptations for us, right, when we think about opening our mouths. As we share the gospel, there's a temptation first to not open our mouth at all because we don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. Maybe we're ashamed. Maybe I don't know what it could be. Maybe we're afraid. I don't know what it is. But we say, you know, I don't know what to say. Who am I to say whatever? And And that's one temptation not to speak at all. But then the other temptation is to speak in a way that's destructive, that's harmful to the people that God has called us to love. And so how do we know how to open our mouths? Well, thanks be to God that he gives us his word because I'm sure the people in the Bible, they had those same temptations, either to not open their mouths or to open their mouth in an offensive, wrong way. And so what do they teach us? What do we learn in this passage? One of the things that they show us is that the Holy Spirit comes and he gives us power, not only to lead us, not only to empower us, but to guide us not only in what we say, but even in how we say it, he guides us in all of that. And so because of that, we need to follow the Holy Spirit's leading as we're going to open our mouths right here in our community. So we want to look real at, at three things that come out in this passage that we see from what happened with Philip, this cross-cultural minister and ministry that takes place here. So the first thing that we're going to look at is what happens before What happens before we open our mouths? What do we need to do then? Well, let's start with that. So here in the text, look at verse 26. The first thing you're going to see, actually, there's three kinds of openness before we open our mouths here in this passage, you're going to see. And the first is an openness of spirit. And what I mean by that is an openness to go wherever the spirit of God calls you to go. Look at verse 26. It says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. That is the place that is the southernmost point before you end up going into Africa. And he tells him to go there. Now, remember where I said he was in the first place? He was in Samaria. They're having a revival in Samaria. And right in the middle of that, God says, Philip, I want you to leave. So what did Philip do? Say, hold on, Lord. This is my ministry, man. I can't, come on now. What does it say? Verse 27, and he rose and went. And then again, if you skip down to verse 29, it says the spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. Verse 30 says Philip ran to him. He obeyed the spirit of God. Whatever the spirit called him to do, he went and did that. And he trusted that God knew what he was doing. So not only, secondly though, in this idea, not only do we see an openness of spirit, but there is an openness of heart. And what I mean by that is he goes to whoever it is God calls him to go to. Now let's go back to verse 27. It says he rose and went, and then it tells us in 27 and 28 about this man. And these are important things that that Luke presents to us here. It says that he's an Ethiopian. So where is he from? Ethiopia, right? He's from Ethiopia. He's from Africa. This is a black man. He is from Ethiopia. He is from Africa. And then it says here that he is a eunuch. Now, what is a eunuch? Well, that's somebody, well, it says the next part that he's a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And what would happen is for the guys who would be high up in these positions... They would work with the queen. You know what they would have to do if they were not part of the family? The men would have to become castrated in order to be trusted to work with the the women in the royal kingdom. And if you don't know what that means, we can talk about it after the service, right? I'm not going to explain that right now. I don't even like saying it, but that's what happened. (laughs) But that's what would happen. So think about it for a second now. This guy, he's risen up to a powerful place, right? Look at that. It says he's, in the, uh, he's an official of the queen. He's in charge of all her treasure, right? So this guy has got power. He's got position. But it's cost him a lot to get there, hadn't it? And then it goes on. It says that he, he was returning. He's seated in his chariot. Now, this is not like a war chariot. This is something that you're riding. This is a luxurious. Imagine like a navigator. Or or something like that. That's what he's riding in. He's got somebody else probably driving him, riding in this big... So this dude is not only rich, not only powerful, he's rich. And then it tells you that he's reading reading Isaiah the prophet. And it says that because people would read out loud when they would read. But he's got his own Isaiah scroll. So that means he's rich and he's reading. That means he's educated. And so think about this man that, that Philip is going to. This is a guy who is high, he's powerful, he's a black man from Ethiopia, but he's also a eunuch. I don't know if anybody has ever had the feeling of being a double outsider. Where you not only are rejected by the people around you, maybe by another culture, but you experience rejection from your own culture. Anybody ever feel like that? Well, that's what this brother has gone through. And on the one hand, he's done everything that that society would say you got to do to make it up there, right? But then it still cost him. He's still an outcast. Maybe somebody feels like that. You say, I've done everything that society said I'm supposed to do in order to make it, in order to be respected, in order to have this status. And yet I'm still treated like a nothing and like a nobody. And still put down. That's what this man is going through. But guess what? That's exactly the man that God sends his minister to. And that's who Philip goes to. He has an openness of heart. And the last openness that we see in this first point is an openness not just of his spirit, not just an openness of heart, but he's got an openness of his ears. What I mean by that is he's listening. He teaches us so much with that. Look look at the text in 29 again. It says, the Spirit said, go over and join this chariot. Verse 30, Philip ran to him, and listen, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So the guy's reading out loud, but what that means, and I know this is subtle, but it means he was listening. The first thing he did is not go there and preach. The first thing that he did is not show up and tell that man what he needed to do or what he needed to know. The first thing he did is he listened. He opened his spirit, he opened his heart, he opened his ears. And then look at what happened. So he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the, he said, so he asked questions. That's another good thing. He asked him questions. He didn't assume anything. He asked them, And then he said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And then look at this. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And so can you picture that? The two of them sitting there in the chariot. You got a, a Jewish man, I'm guessing middle, uh, middle age, sitting together with the black man who's, who's uh, in the royal cabinet, sitting together in the chariot, reading Isaiah. Look at God bringing people together like that. Truth of the matter is I bet Philip had never done that before in his life. But yet there he is, seated with the man in this chariot. So all of this happens before he opens his mouth. So what do we learn from that? The first thing is this. And what do we learn from that openness of spirit we're talking about? One of the things you see is God was working long before Philip even thought about going to that place. God was already working then. God was already working to bring this together. He's working in Philip. He's working in the eunuch. He's working to bring them together. And so this was not a matter of just Philip is now got to go bring God to the Ethiopian. God is already there. God is already working. God is bringing them together. And so why do I say that? Again, it's a reminder, especially to those of us who have moved in from outside, from other places. Right? I said we moved from Baltimore. And so it would be offensive of me to come and say, you know what? I'm here in this community now. Jesus is here. Jesus was already here. Jesus was here long before I got here. Je- Jesus was here long before I thought about getting here. Jesus was, long, was here long before New City was here. Jesus has been here in this community already. And so the question is, how do we come alongside what Jesus is already doing? And then what else do we learn about this openness of spirit? Maybe there's somebody online or maybe there's somebody in this room. And when I was reading some of those titles from from the books a little bit earlier, and I said, is Christianity the white man's religion? Maybe you thought, well, yeah, that's what I thought. Well, look at what, what happens in this story. Look at the lengths that God goes to to bring his gospel minister in touch with this Ethiopian eunuch. Maybe nobody else saw him, but guess who did? God. <laughs> and maybe you're here and you feel like, well, I don't know if there's there's I don't know if God cares about us here. I don't know if God sees us in this community. Look at God. Look at the lengths that God went to to care for that place. He's not worried about what everybody else says about that place. Look at what God did to go and to bring the gospel to those people. So I say that to you. To say that you are every bit as precious to God as he is. And look at how God, you can probably look at your own life and look and see how God has orchestrated bringing people into your life. Your life, where did they come from? Lord, have mercy. But God did that. I don't know if that means I'm taking too long, Jeremiah, that you came up or or you you just sound like I need you already. Maybe both. All right. (laughs) That's all right. It's good to have you up here. Amen. I got you. We're still in the first point, though, man. You all right? All right. The other one's not going to be as long. I promise. Okay. But you're like, yeah, I heard that before, Pastor. But, so what was I saying? Before, before, before we open our mouths. Do you see that? And then what about an openness of heart to whoever it is that God would call us to? We have to go and then open our ears to listen to where people are, but not only listen to their pain and their struggle. You think this man had some pain and struggle? You think Isaiah was the only thing they talked about in that chariot? He probably needed somebody to listen to the hurts and pains that he'd been through. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But first, that's before. Now, what about when he opens his mouth? That's the second thing. What happens when he opens his mouth? Well, where do, where do we begin? Well, where did Philip begin? Look at verse 32. It says, now the passage um, of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, and this is Isaiah 53 again, okay? Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So it says, he opens not his mouth. That's verse 7 of Isaiah 53. And then verse 8. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, it says, about whom I ask you? And in our translation, it doesn't tell you the strength with which he's asking this. It's like he's grabbing him by the collar, going, man, tell me, please. I'm begging you. Come on. I ask you. Does a prophet say this about himself or about somebody else? Now, why is he so interested in those verses? Why would he care about somebody who's been through humiliation and denied justice and doesn't have any generations after him or anything like that? Remember I said he was a eunuch, right? Now, let me ask you, remember where where was he coming from when Philip met him? He's coming from Jerusalem, right? Why did he go to Jerusalem? He went to the temple. That's right. And actually, it's about a five-month journey to get from where he was to get to Jerusalem. And so he is desperate to get there, to get to the temple. But let me ask you, what would have happened to the brother when he got to the temple? They would have said, hold up, you can't come in. You can't even come past this court. This is not for you because of your race, because of who you are, because you're from Ethiopia, you can't come in. And then, not only that, because you're a unit. eunuch, I, I guess they took his word for it with that. I don't know if they checked it. But because of that, he's a double outsider. He's doubly rejected not only because of his race, but also because of his class. He's traveled for five months to get to the temple and he can't even get in the courtyard because of who he is. So now, when the guy is reading this passage and he reads about somebody who suffered humiliation and somebody who's denied justice, right, and somebody whose life has been cut off, what you think he's thinking about? Can you see why that probably meant so much to him? He's like, shoot, that looks like it's talking about me. That's what I've been through. And so what does he say? He says, who is this, who uh, who, uh, who am I asking, does the prophet say this about himself or somebody else? And you know what, I forgot to say this. There's another passage right next to Isaiah 53 If you keep on going to Isaiah 56, I wonder if his eyes caught this passage. You know what it says? This is verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. You think that meant something to him? But, But if you keep going, it says, and let not the eunuch. He's probably like, what? Let not the eunuchs say, behold, I'm just a dry tree. Why is that? Look at the next verse. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. Listen to what God said he's going to provide. I will give in my house and with my walls a monument and a name that's better than sons and daughters. Do you see that? What do you think that would have meant to this man? I will give them an everlasting name. That will never be cut off. Can you imagine what's going through this man's mind? As he reads, hold up, they've just rejected me from this place. But I'm reading here in the Bible that God says he's not going to reject me. He's going to bring me into his family. So that's why he's like, please, come on, tell me about this. And what does Philip do in verse 35? Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Where did he start? Right where the man was. He started right where he was. And from there, he took him to Jesus. Just like you go into a restaurant and the servant takes you and says, Oh, your table is way over here. Let me take you to the table. And they take you they take you by the arm and they walk you through all the way there till you get to the destination. That's what he's done. He started right where the man is. And he's walked him to Jesus. But notice this. It doesn't just say he told him the facts about Jesus. It doesn't just say he's told him the story about Jesus. What's it say in verse 35? He told him the good news about Jesus. The bizrat about Jesus. The gospel about Jesus Christ. Now what would have been so good news to this man? Here's somebody who has become unclean for the unclean. Here's somebody who's an outcast for the outcast. Here's somebody who has come to give his life, who was humiliated, who was denied justice, who has had his life cut off for us. That's why it's good news. Right earlier, we sang that song. That was like a whole sermon in the song, right? It says, he lived and he loved me. And then he died and and what else? He saved me. And then he buried and he carried what happened? My sins far away. And then what happened? He rose up and he justified me. Right? Reformation Day. He justified me, freed me forever. And one day he's coming back. What a glorious day. Can you see why that would be such good news for this man? Well, guess what? It's not just good news for him, it's good news for you. Maybe you've come here, maybe you're online. And you're watching and you're feeling just like that man. You've been rejected by everybody else. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, I was rejected for the rejected. I was cast out for those who were cast out so that you would be brought in. I was denied justice for you so you could be justified. And so that you could have justice. That's what he says to you today some of the problem as we think about before we go on to the last thing is that we've been presenting the wrong Jesus and and we, I'm talking about the church as a whole we've been presenting a consumer version of Jesus that just gives us what he's just there like a cosmic Santa Claus to give us whatever we want when we want it so that our lives are comfortable and and we don't have to suffer or anything like that we haven't been giving him the Jesus of the Bible Or instead, it's a political Jesus. And really, what that is, is a Jesus not that we look at who's made us in our image, but it's a Jesus that we have created in our own image. Who backs up our causes. And that's what we present. And guess what? That's why we need this book. That's why people reject it. Because we're like, they're like, if that's the Jesus you're presenting, I don't want that Jesus. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the real Jesus. That's not the one who's fully God and fully man at the same time. This is the Jesus that we must present, that we must know and that we must present to our neighbors around us. We start right with where they are. And then we lead them to the real Jesus, not to some fake copy That's made in our own image according to our own likes and dislikes. But the real one who's in the word of God, who is the word of God. Now, lastly, let's go to the last thing. And that is after we open our mouths, right? We've already seen what happens before and we've seen when we open our mouths. How about after? What happens after? Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here's water what prevents me from being baptized can you picture him with the joy he's heard the message right remember from acts chapter 2 rep- what do you do when you're convicted of your sin he says repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins believe in the name of Jesus Christ the one who's the son of god who has died on the cross to pay for your sins and he's excited now you know what's wild he says what prevents me from being baptized. Why do you think he says that? (laughs) Because he's already been prevented from worshiping in the other place. And so now he wants to know, wait a minute, y'all going to prevent me too? Are you going to prevent me from being a part of this family? Philip's like, nah, brother. Verse 38. And so he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch And he baptized him. And so what happens after he's baptized? You say, oh, that's great, but not just baptized. He's connected. And he doesn't realize it yet, but to the whole body of Christ. And so here's a man who was rejected before. He can't even enter into the temple, much less be a part of the people that worship in the temple. But now where is he? Now he's in the church. There's nothing that prevents him. From being in the family of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has torn down every wall, every screen, whatever it is. He's torn down the wall of hostility. That stood between us, that kept us, that prevented us from being in God's family. That's what Jesus has done. So he's made a way, not just for that man. But he's made a way for every single one of us. He's made a way for you today. He's made a way for every single one of our neighbors and there's nothing that prevents them there's nothing that prevents you today from being a part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ and then how does it end look at this this is the last thing and when they came up out of the water the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away so he's doing it again another great successful ministry now he's gone but what happened with the eunuch he saw him no more And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus as he passed through the, and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What did God do? God took them in different directions, right? For Philip, he carried him on to another place. And maybe for some of us, for some of you, God has other things in mind for you, where he's going to take you. God is working in you here and preparing you for what he's got for you in another place. But then where did that Ethiopian unit go? He went home. When did the gospel go to Africa? You say, well, maybe the 15th century. That's what I heard, right? 16th century, 17th century. With with missionaries from America? With slavery? Is that where the gospel first went to Africa? It's Acts chapter 8. This is the first century. This is the gospel going to Africa right here. So if you have believed that before, oh no, you know, there's no, the gospel didn't get to Africa till slave. This is the gospel going to Africa in the Bible right here, right there. That's when it goes. And they say, I don't know if this is true, but they say the historians say that this man became the first bishop of Ethiopia. And the missionary to his own people. Amazing. The gospel goes to the very ends of the earth. You know what? Let me ask you. And I'm really going to close with this. <laughs> I'm serious. See, anyway. Anyway, when you, when you see a group picture, right? You ever see a group picture that you're in, right? That maybe it's a class or your workplace or something like that. Or you at the game A a huge selfie. When you see a group picture, who do you look for first? (laughs) Right? Don't you look for yourself. It's all right. It's all right to admit it. That's all right. That's natural. That's what we do. We're like, oh man, I was having a bad hair day right there. But what do you think people do when we look at the Bible? We look for ourselves. And what happens if we think we're not there? What do you do with pictures where you're not in the picture? You're like, oh, that's nice, great. And you keep on moving. And you know what? All of these alternative spiritualities and cults of what they are, they say, oh, there's no place for you there, but we got a place for you here. And people say, really? All right, there's a place for me. And so they go. And so we have to show people when we open our mouths and we ain't making nothing up, we're showing people what's right there. We're taking away, really what they, what they say in the book is the whitewashing of it. Of acting like it's not there. But people who look like every one of you are right here in this Bible. And so look for yourself in this picture because you are there You are a part of the very plan of God and so is your neighbor around you. That's what we do, not only before we open our mouths and when we open our mouths, but even after we open our mouths. And all of that we do. How so? How do we get the power to do that? We do that with our eyes fixed on the one who also, what did Isaiah say about him? He also did not open his mouth. We go to the one who is the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We continually look to the one who was denied justice, who knows humiliation better than anybody else, whose life was cut off from the earth. What else did Isaiah 53 say? It says that not only did this happen to him, but he was bruised. Why? For our transgressions, And he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brings us peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. But the great news that we celebrate today is this lamb got up. He got up and won victory over sin and Satan and even death itself. Oh, and the Bible says that with His blood, He purchased for God people of every tribe and language and nation so that we might be a kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father. And listen, those of you who think that you're not in the picture, absolutely that includes you. Look at the great lengths that He went to to reach this man. Those are the same great lengths that he goes to to reach and love you. And so let us remember that as we open our mouths. Let's pray. Thanks for listening and God bless.